Welcome to Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander. Thank you so much for joining us this weekend. I'm Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander. Bill, we've got a jam-packed show. There's so much going on. It's Mother's Day weekend. There's early voting going on. You've got webinars coming up on Wednesday. we got a lot to get to over the next hour. We've got a lot not to forget about. <laughs> <laughs> that too. Hope you're doing well, Jason. It's, uh, uh, great, Bill. Yeah, well, it's an... Uh, you know, we're definitely into spring now, which is awfully, awfully nice. Uh, and you're, you're so right. There is so much uh, that we need to think about. And, of course, uh, I would uh, encourage uh, everyone um, uh, to vote uh, in these primaries. You know, uh, candidates, uh, you know, this is uh, for a lot of the elections, it's uh, for primaries and f for others, it's actually the elections. So it, it's really important for us as citizens to get out and, and vote. Um, and, and there are an awful lot of folks running. And so uh, I, I would encourage people to uh, uh, go online uh, to your preferred place, wherever that is, and find out about the candidates because there are an awful lot uh, well, there are lots of folks running for re-election, but there are also a lot of folks uh, running for the first time. Um, there's and, and it's the kind of thing where... So I would just remind folks that you have one week left to vote early. And I always vote early. I, you know, I cannot imagine waiting until Election Day when... When you vote early, uh, you basically can pick when you want to vote, uh, and you can pretty much uh, just walk right in, vote, and you're out within minutes, which is never the case, or rarely the case, uh, on Election Day itself. So from my perspective, it's a whole lot easier uh, and more time efficient, uh, to, to vote early. And it's, uh, to me, that's just a no brainer thing, but, um, uh, and to the best of my knowledge, IDs are not required, uh, to vote, uh, uh, early voting or on election day, uh, which is, uh, you know, obviously helpful, but at the same time, there's one more week, you know, next. In fact, if you're listening to the show next weekend, and I hope you will, uh, that's going to be the very last day, Saturday. Uh, and, of course, I, oops, you know, I should say, you know, this is rebroadcast on Sunday afternoon. So <laughs> if you're listening on Sunday, it's too late to vote early if you haven't already voted because uh, early voting actually ends next Saturday May the 14th. Uh, and Election Day, of course, is the next Tuesday, thus May the 17th. Uh, so, you know, it's important for us as uh, citizens uh, to, to vote. That's the, I mean, that's really the only way we can express our own political desires, uh, if you get right down to it, because we have a representative government, and hopefully once the election is over, our election officials will actually represent our interests. <laughs> I mean, that's the way it's supposed to work, even if it doesn't work like that all the time. But uh, like I said, this is one of the few ways that we can actually um, 
uh, use uh, something that we can do that might make a difference in terms of how we are governed, and that uh, is uh, a, a really important thing. And of course, anybody who doesn't remember Mother's Day uh, tomorrow is in real trouble. And if you are listening to my show on Sunday afternoon and you haven't done your duty, you're already in trouble. I don't have to tell you because it will have already been said. <laughs> so anyway, I think that's real important for all of us to remember. Um, now, uh, I, you know, last week I talked about procrastination uh, as being a worst-case scenario, and it really is for so many folks. Uh, procrastination about getting any estate planning uh, done or, or uh, actually having uh, what you've got in place now reviewed, um, you know, in a timely uh Way and every 20 years is not timely. <laughs> you know, things change pretty fast, and and it's so important that folks have documents. Now, you you have to realize that the documents you do are it's like it's like buying insurance. Um, now, with because. The fact is, is that most of our documents do not come into play unless there's a crisis, unless something has gone very, very bad. And I'm not talking about death. Yes, obviously we will die, and uh, it is uh, if you want to uh, control where your property goes at your death, then having a will or a trust is an extremely important thing. But fact is, all of the others, and we do six documents, six basic documents, uh, all of the other documents are not about death. They're about life and how uh, to deal with issues uh, when you're in a crisis and where you can't make the decisions for yourself. So who's going to make those decisions? Well, if you have the documents, then you control who makes those decisions, what um, uh, options they have, what they can actually do, and you can control that. Without documents, then you don't control who gets to make those decisions or what they can or cannot do. And of course, I, I do talk about asset protection every month, and of course our webinars are coming up soon, next Wednesday as a matter of fact, on asset protection, and of course, uh, we do a morning webinar on Medicaid, and web Medicaid also has a piece to it that involves uh, protecting your assets as well. And guess what? One of the most important documents, if not the most important document in most cases, is having that adequate general durable power of attorney, which most people do, do not have. That's the thing that... that uh, I wish I could get through to people because the fact is most people go merrily along, th you know, they're singing their songs and, and basically saying, well, I went to a lawyer a few years ago. I have one of those documents. I don't need to do anything else. And the fact is that if an elder law attorney did not do those documents for you, then they probably will not work 
if you have a, a health care crisis in terms of trying to do Medicaid planning or asset protection planning. It's, it really comes down to can your loved ones that you would appoint, do they have the ability to do what needs to be done? And just because your document is called a general durable power of attorney, and just because it has a statement in there that you want them to be able to do virtually anything, the fact is that it doesn't work that way. It is limited to what you specifically authorize, and nothing else is allowed. And so most, quite frankly, most general durable powers of attorney are limited, very limited in scope, and folks don't realize that. Now, what's the worst case scenario? Worst case scenario by far is having no documents at all. In fact, I think last week I talked about a family that came in and dad was already too far gone with dementia so he was incapacitated, could not sign anything lawfully, uh, and so. But they had no documents. The husband had no documents. The wife had no documents. It was the saddest case I had seen in years. But the fact is, is that when you have no documents, then you only have one possibility and that is a guardianship where everything goes through the courthouse and you and if it's a general guardianship you have annual accountings where you have to account for every penny that comes in every penny that goes out it's burdensome and when you're married it really makes things difficult because they expect you to separate Everything out where the uh, incompetent person's property is uh, is uh, set aside, and then your property is in a different category. And and you know when you're married for a long time, most people have everything together, everything's joint, and uh, you know frankly trying to separate things out can be virtually impossible for so so many people. And, and it even works down on the healthcare level. If you don't have documents there, um, then, you know, yes, there's a secondary protocol in the hospitals. But the fact is, is that those protocols are extremely limited in terms of what someone who has not been legally appointed as your agent can actually do or not do. I, and so... It's crazy to me that people would not have basic documents. And, and, you know, there are a lot of young people out there as well that don't think about the fact, you know, we're healthy, we're, you know, <laughs> we, we have young children, and they're not thinking about the fact that if somebody has a stroke or a bad car accident, that if they don't have documents, then they don't have the ability to make those financial or healthcare decisions that need to be made so often. Um, so it, it's it's kind of thing where worst case scenario is having no documents at all. And then the second worst case, if you will, is having the wrong documents, having inadequate documents. And I know we have to take a break and I'll, I want to mention inadequate documents um, because that one is so important to folks, because 
often, so often people that have some documents think they're, they're good to go no matter what, and those folks are not good to go more often than not. That's scary to imagine, and if you've had documents prepared in the past but you haven't had them reviewed by an elder law attorney, get a hold of Bill. Get those checked out. Make sure that your documents are going to perform the way that you want them to. Go online to WGALaw.com. WGALaw.com is Bill's website. From there, you can schedule an appointment to speak with him. And as Bill mentioned earlier, Bill's free webinars are happening this coming Wednesday, May 11th. If you go to WGALaw.com and click on the Seminars button at the top of the page, you're going to find plenty of information about Bill's upcoming webinars. Again, these are happening on Wednesday, May 11th. If you want to learn more about long-term care assistance, as Bill mentioned, Medicaid, financial assistance that may be available to you if you or a loved one is dealing with a long-term care crisis, the costs of long-term care can be catastrophic to your finances. This is a free educational opportunity for you to learn how assistance may be available to you. Go to WGALaw.com, click on the seminars button at the top of the page. These are in the form of webinars, so you can enjoy them from the comfort of your own home. All you need is a device with an internet connection and an email address, and you're good to go. Uh, or if you want to learn more about Bill's webinar on asset protection and trust planning, we're going to get into a little bit more of those topics as well today. You can do that. Bill does that webinar in the afternoon. Again, it's free to attend, free to register. Go to WGALaw.com and click on the seminars button at the top of the page to learn more. WGALaw.com. Just click that seminars button at the top of the page. We're taking a quick break, but we'll be right back. Stick around. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander, and we'll be right back. Welcome back to Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander. Learn more about him at WGALaw.com. WGALaw.com. That's Bill's website. From there, you can schedule an appointment to speak with him. Or if you want to register for this coming Wednesday's free webinars, you can go to WGALaw.com and click on the Seminars button at the top of the page if you're interested in learning more about long-term care assistance, Medicaid, VA benefits, assistance that may be available to you if you're dealing with a long-term care crisis. That's a wonderful opportunity for you. Or if you want to learn more about asset protection and trust planning, these are free educational opportunities for you. Just go to WGALaw.com and click on the Seminars button at the top of the page. I'm Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander. And Bill, we were talking about uh, a little carryover from last week with procrastination and worst case scenario, not having any documents. Second worst case scenario, having inadequate documents. Well, and okay. And, and you're sitting there thinking, well, I went to a lawyer just two years ago and I had my documents drawn up and I am in good shape. And here this guy on the radio is saying, well, maybe I'm not in good shape. And you're saying, well, what's wrong with my power of attorney? Why, why 
is it inadequate? Well, let me give you five or six or seven different reasons why it might be. Because let's say that you, your spouse, and, and obviously you're using a power of attorney because uh, the person cannot, the post person whom you're acting as agent for, it, it doesn't have the capacity to understand what's going on anymore, or they can't sign documents. And that might be because of dementia, or it might be they're unconscious, or it might be they've been in a horrible accident and they're all drugged up, or, or whatever it might be. But they're not competent anymore to, or at least temporarily, to uh, uh, make decisions on their own. So you have to do that. Well, if you have a situation where, for instance, where your loved one needs continuing nursing care and you're thinking, okay, well, can we get on Medicaid? And anybody who's listened to my show knows that uh, one of the things that I preach is the fact that if you need nursing care, most families, particular middle-class families, can, with help, uh, get on Medicaid. But uh, the fact is, is that the document that helps get your family on Medicaid is the general durable power of attorney. So, okay, your husband goes into the nursing home. What is the first thing we want to do? If we're planning to do asset protection planning, whether you get Medicaid or not, or Medicaid planning, well, the first thing we want to do is to transfer everything in the husband's name over to the wife, to the spouse. Now, there is no Medicaid sanction or five-year look back in terms of transfers to your spouse. So it's perfectly legal. There's no, uh, there, in fact, it's encouraged in the Medicaid manual. It's, it's perfectly fine. What's not fine is transferring property to your children or grandchildren. That's what gets you penalized with a long sanction for making those transfers. But to your spouse, no problem. Okay, but does your power of attorney allow you to do that? Well, here are a number of reasons why it may not work. Number one, if your power of attorney does not specifically allow your agent to make gifts to themselves uh, or act in a way that might be considered a conflict of interest, then they can't do it because who's your agent going to be 99% of the time? Your spouse. And that's the person that we need to make the transfers on your behalf to herself or himself. Okay, so that's one issue. But more often than not, it's not that one. It's because it's oftentimes limited to the maximum annual exclusion for gifts, which today is $16,000. Well, Okay, can you transfer your home if you're limited to $16,000 of assets? No. Can you transfer, for instance, the ownership of a life insurance policy with $20,000 of cash value? No, not if you're limited to $16,000. Or it may be that, and I've seen this more times than I can count, you're, you're power of attorney says you can make gifts to the children and grandchildren or your lineal descendants, but it doesn't mention the spouse. Well, guess what? That's the person we want to make transfers to. Or 
um, it, it, it might uh, be a power of attorney that does not mention real estate. In other words, it doesn't say, it, it just says you can make unlimited gifts if, if it might. Now, I r- rarely see that, but let's say it does say that. But it doesn't say I can make unlimited gifts of real or personal property. It just says you can make unlimited gifts. I see that all the time. Well, guess what? That means your house, your real estate, is not included in that gifting. That's by North Carolina case law. And North Carolina has some quirky case law that affects your ability to do what you need to do. In fact, I was reviewing documents that were prepared by a very good law firm in Durham um, this past week uh, for a widow uh, and who had had her documents uh, done uh, after her husband died. So they were current documents. And it was actually an excellent power of attorney with one little problem. But otherwise, it, it had things in it uh, that I look for in a really good power of attorney. And for instance, it allowed the agent to create a revocable trust, or to amend a revocable trust, or to fund or defund a revocable trust, or to even create an irrevocable trust. Uh, It allowed the agent to change beneficiary designations. That's something that can be really important in asset protection, too. It allowed the agent to, uh, uh, to spend a retirement account Uh, or to change beneficiaries on a retirement account uh, or the like. Well, guess what? That can be awfully important because guess what? You know, if um, one of the best ways to use a retirement account is if you're in a, a medical crisis and you're spending gobs of money on medical care, and this is before you get on Medicaid, of course, and a lot of folks will spend, you know, $100,000 because they don't come to an elder law attorney to get on Medicaid, and they don't realize that they could have done it earlier. But obviously, that's the time when you should be using the, the um, patients, your loved one's retirement account, because when you do, you won't pay much of any tax because you're going to have a huge medical deduction at the end of the year. Um, so it, that's a, a, a time to use your retirement account. But the bottom line is your ability to, um, to, to either liquidate a retirement account or spend a retirement account or annuitize a retirement account, uh, all of those abilities should be contained in your uh, general durable power of attorney. But remember, I said there was a problem with it. You know, the one thing it did not say is it didn't allow the transfer of it didn't say real estate it, it was one of these that said you can with with the opinion of an elder law attorney or someone who's who understands uh, you can make unlimited gifts but it didn't say real estate now this was a widow and it did say she that uh, an agent can transfer the real estate to a spouse so Obviously, if her husband was still alive, then that that provision would have helped. But there was no other provision in this power of attorney for real estate. Well, guess what? One of the most advantageous asset protection plans 
can be is to use your children's or other real estate and then to protect it. And guess what? In order to protect it, the asset protection part, you've got to have the power to gift real estate. Otherwise, you cannot lawfully do what you need to do to protect your home or your children's homes or other properties. But, you know, like I said, middle-class families can generally get on Medicaid very, very quickly with help. And and that is so important that folks really need. But And there are other reasons why a power of attorney may not be adequate to do Medicaid planning or asset protection planning, whether it's related to Medicaid or not. That power of attorney is that critical document in terms of being able to make that work. You can see why Bill gets so passionate about this, because if if you don't have the method to execute these plans, then the plans are effectively useless. So that's why it's so important to have your documents reviewed by an elder law attorney. Make sure that you can execute your plans in the way that you intend. If you want to schedule an appointment to speak with Bill, go online to WGALaw.com, WGALaw.com. Dot com is the best place to go to get a hold of Bill. That's also where you can go to register for this coming Wednesday's free webinars. It's happening on Wednesday, May 11th. If you want to learn more about long-term care assistance, Medicaid assistance that may be available to you or a loved one dealing with a long-term care crisis, this is a wonderful free educational opportunity for you. Or if you want to learn more about asset protection and trust planning, Bill has a webinar dedicated to that subject again happening on wednesday may 11th that one is in the afternoon go to wgalaw.com click on the seminars button to learn more or you can also call the office the phone number is 919-256-7000 919-256-7000 a quick break and back with more this is asset protection today with attorney bill alexander and we'll be right back This is Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander. Learn more about him by going to WGALaw.com. WGALaw.com. It's also where you can go to register for Bill's free webinars happening this Wednesday, May 11th. If you want to learn more about long-term care assistance that may be available to you, as well as asset protection and trust planning, these are some wonderful opportunities for you. It's free to do so, free to attend, free to register. Bill puts these webinars on the second Wednesday of every month, and that's happening this Wednesday, May 11th. So if you want to learn more, register or attend, go to WGALaw.com and click on that seminars button at the top of the page. I'm Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander. And Bill, of course, Medicaid is uh, a prime subject of your morning webinar that's happening on Wednesday. Oh, I know. And and financial assistance is so important to families when they have a long-term care crisis uh, because there are very, very few families that can actually afford to pay for the care. 
And when a crisis occurs in a family, it almost always is a complete shock at how expensive it is. Uh, and, and quite frankly, you're generally talking terms of anywhere between five and ten thousand dollars a month for long-term care help. And it can be even more expensive than that if you're trying to do it at home with help. So there's uh, and with Medicaid, uh, there are many, many, many different programs, and with the VA benefits as well. And so it's the kind of thing where often so many people think Medicaid is one great big program. You have to be poor to get it. You can't have any assets, complete, and that's completely false. And you have to understand that the rules are very different depending on, and this is a lot of folks don't even understand it, the level of care that you need. And so one of the things I try to teach in the webinar is when you can receive help and when you can't, because it's just as important for you to know when you can't get help or you won't be eligible uh, than otherwise, you know, because for most families, yes, there are certain programs that you can be eligible for, but there's others that you're shut out from from the get-go. And we have, in North Carolina, better uh, programs than uh, many of the states around us, but they're still inadequate. There is a huge, huge hole in our safety net where there are lots and lots of North Carolina citizens who have too much income to get the uh, program dollars that they need, but they don't have enough money uh, to pay for the care, and they have no assets at all to, to help pay for the care. So they're just basically totally out of luck. But, you know, everybody wants to stay at home, and one of the things that I teach is the fact that very, very few of us can actually receive Medicaid at home. That is a different program from Medicaid for nursing care, but Medicaid at home was designed for folks that are very poor, folks who have very little income and very few assets. And uh, that's the reason that it, it, that one is designed for folks uh, that are unfortunate and, and that because of that, uh, very few folks actually qualify for the program. Well, how bad is it? How poor do you really have to be? Well, if you're single, your your income is capped uh, in this program. So if your gross income exceeds $1,133 a month, you're over income. Now, that's gross income, which basically means if you have a Social Security check, if your Social Security check is $1,000, you're over-resourced for income because they take out $170.10 for your Social Security Part B premium. So you have to add that in to your... So if you have $1,000 of Social Security income and you add $170, you're at $1,170, which is over the cap of $1,133. If you're over the cap, it doesn't matter what your assets are. doesn't matter if you don't have a nickel to your name. You cannot receive... Medicaid at home. 
now, if you're married, th- this is the one Medicaid program where they look at total household income. And so it doesn't matter if you have one <coughs> spouse who has virtually no income and the other has more. They look at both together. And for Medicaid at home, if you're married, the total household income cannot exceed gross $1,526. So very, very little income. And now, let's say your income is that low. What about assets? If you're single, your countable assets must be less than $2,000. I'm not talking about income. I'm talking about assets. If you're married, your total household assets owned by either of you is $3,000. So now, there is a little hedge here. That's countable assets. So you can have uh, certain assets that are exempt. I mean, for instance, if you inherited a house, because with that low income, you probably couldn't afford to buy one, but... If you own a house, your house is exempt. Now, it'll be subject to a state recovery unless you get an elder law attorney to protect it for you. But the fact is, is that you can have a house, you can have one vehicle. That, uh, But the bottom line is, is just everything else, for the most, is not countable. So, you know, the fact is, is that, uh, and, and I'll give you another example, which might blow your mind. There, years, Not too many years ago, I helped a, a quadriplegic to, to get on Medicaid, and he only, now he was trying to get on this home care, he only had one asset to his name, and that, uh, that was a life insurance policy, but it had cash value of $16,000. Guess what? He was limited to two, so we had to basically transfer the ownership of that policy, do a gift back, do a spin down, but that was all he had. But the bottom line is the man needed assistance, and we got him on Medicaid very quickly. But the point is, even a life insurance policy can keep you off of Medicaid. So there's lots and lots of, of rules like that. But home care of course, uh, is, um, uh, it's out of, uh, I mean, bottom line is that I'm not going to get it, and you're not going to get it. The, you know, you have to be in a very uh, bad situation for the most part to be able to get Medicaid at home. However, Medicaid in a nursing home, if you have a loved one that has to go to nursing care, and then there are other two other programs that can help people stay at home, and and that is the PACE program, which is available in this area. Uh, Not available in eastern North Carolina, but in this area it is available, which is a a really good program we talk about. And another one is Money Follows the Person program, another program that's uh, available to us to help us stay at home that's not the Medicaid at Home program. But if you want to learn more about that, come to my webinar. (laughs) That's a great segue. You can go to WGALaw.com if you want to register for Bill's free webinars happening this Wednesday, May 11th. Just click on the seminars button at the top of the page at WGALaw.com. These are in the form of webinars. They're highly educational. It's all free to attend. It's 
free to register. Just go to WGALaw.com to learn more and click on the Seminars button at the top of the page or call the office, 919-256-7000, 919-256-7000. A quick break and back with more. This is Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander, and we'll be right back. listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. Head on over to WGALaw.com if you want to learn more about Bill, whether it's scheduling an appointment to speak with him or registering for Bill's free webinars happening this Wednesday, May 11th. If you want to learn more about long-term care assistance that may be available to you, navigating the complicated waters of Medicaid, or if you want to learn more about asset protection and trust planning, WGALaw.com is the place to go. WGALaw.com to learn more. I'm Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander. And Bill, speaking of uh, the costs of long-term care, you know, that one of the first things that I think we think about in a long-term care situation would, would be nursing care. Well, the Medicaid program for nursing facility care is exactly the opposite of Medicaid for home care. And yeah, I mean, you might say, well, is there an income test for nursing care Medicaid? The answer is yes, but it's not much of one. I mean, the income test, all of us can pass it because the bottom line is they're only looking at the patient's income, not the spouse's income. They don't look at both for this program. Uh, And uh, the test is, is the patient's income less than the cost of care in the nursing home? So the bottom line is when you know that nursing home costs generally run between seven and $12,000 a month, if your income is less than that, you pass the test. <laughs> okay, so not much. It's always about assets. And so that's uh, one of the more confusing things about this program, if you need nursing care, is the spend-down test. And it's not fair, but the way it works, quite frankly. And if you're single, you have a maximum of countable assets of $2,000. But what folks don't realize is you can have an unlimited amount of property as long as it's non-countable. Well, most people know that your home is not countable. And in fact, your home can be worth up to $636,000 and it's still not countable. Uh, Most people know that you can have one vehicle of any value in North Carolina. Now, a lot of other states do cap the value of vehicles, but not North Carolina. One vehicle, whether you're married or single. And there are lots and lots of others. I don't have a time to go into what's non-countable but the fact is is that if you're single with a two thousand dollar cap you can still get on medicaid with assistance if you're married the spouse at home you get the two thousand dollars for the patient in countable assets and then how much the spouse can keep depends it depends the worst thing anybody wants to hear But it depends on how many assets you had when your spouse was institutionalized because that's 
how they determine what's called a snapshot date. And the rule is, with a minimum and maximum, you can actually, the spouse can keep half, okay, but it's capped at $137,400. So if you start out with double that in terms of countable assets at the snapshot date, that's the important thing. And these are things that you learn in the Medicaid uh, webinar. If you do, then the spouse can have countable assets of up to $137,400. But let's say that you only have $150,000 of countable uh, assets at the snapshot date. Half is of that $75,000. So Mrs. Smith can have $137,000, but Mrs. Jones can only have $75,000 of countable assets. That's not fair. But now there's also a minimum. And the minimum is $27,480. So if you and your spouse together have $25,000 of countable property, there is no spend down because you're under the minimum. Or let's say you have $35,000. You don't have to spend half. You just have to get down to the minimum of $27,480. I know that's complicated. And that's why people need assistance. Now, the other thing that a lot of folks uh, don't, realize is that spend, as any spend down before the snapshot date actually hurts you rather than helps you. And people think that they can spend down at any time. No, you can't. It, that snapshot date has to occur because they count your property as of the snapshot date and then divide by two. So if you bought a car right before the snapshot date, you're just reducing how much money you can keep because of that, you know, those kind of things. And those, that's why advice is essential in these, in these types of cases. It is essential because there's just so many different rules, as you've heard in this segment, and Bill is so well-versed in the world of Medicaid there's really no harm in signing up for his free webinars. Again, it's free to attend, it's free to register, and these are highly educational opportunities for you to learn about these very confusing and <laughs> difficult to navigate programs like Medicaid. Go to WGALaw.com, click on the Seminars button, and there you'll find plenty of information about Bill's morning webinar dealing with long-term care assistance. This is the one if you're interested in learning more about Medicaid. That's the webinar for you. Or if you want to learn more about asset protection and trust planning, the afternoon session is the one that you want to check out. Go to WGALaw.com, click on the webinars button, the seminars button at the top of the page, or you can call the office 919-256-7000, 919-256-7000. A quick break and back with more. This is Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander, and we'll be right back. listening to Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander. Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander. Before we head out today, Bill, any parting shots of wisdom for us? Well, I'll just give folks a teaser for next week. Next week, I want to talk about dementia and how people can deal with that uh, and the financial resources that might be available or not available 
uh, to families. But d- dementia hits a lot of families, and so uh, I want at least to, uh, to keep take part of the time next week to talk about dementia and how that works for folks. It's going to be a conversation well worth your while. We hope you will join us next weekend. Don't forget, if you want to attend Bill's webinars happening this Wednesday, May 11th, go right now to WGALaw.com and click on the Seminars button at the top of the page or call the office 919-256-7000, 919-256-7000. We're out of time for today. We hope you will join us next weekend. Thank you so much for listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. Have a wonderful weekend.